0: on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. As you're making your holiday travel plans, remember JohnnyDollarAir.com. JohnnyDollarAir.com is a price line affiliate link. So if you purchase through there, part of your purchase supports the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio at no additional cost to you. So remember, when making your travel plans, check JohnnyDollarAir.com first. Now it is time to wrap up this week's Yours Truly, Johnny cereal. The original air dates are May 23rd, May 24th, and May 25th of 1956. It's the Tears of Night Matter, episodes 3, 4, and 5.
1: From Hollywood, it's time now for Johnny Diller. I'll take that, wise guy.
2: Mr. Frankie Scanlon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell him. What was that you yell on the phone? You heard it. I heard you say Johnny Dollar.
3: I told you a long time back, I wasn't Hillary Fuchs. You told
2: me a lot of things.
3: If I'm going to see Costigan, trot him out.
2: Just open the door and walk right in. I'm right behind you, see?
4: Hello, Sam. Johnny. Johnny Dollar. What's he doing here, Frankie? You
2: you mean this isn't Fuchs?
4: Get man. out of here. Get out of here before I throw something at you.
3: You heard the man, Frankie, blow.
4: Now, sit down, Johnny. I won't bother shaking hands. You try to put me in jail. The last time we met. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures
2: of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Miami Beach, to the Universal Adjustment Bureau 518 Spear Boulevard, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Tears of Night Matter.
4: I'm gonna sit down here behind my desk and have a drink, Johnny. And while I'm having it, I'm gonna ask you a question.
3: Save your breath. I'll answer it anyhow, Sam. Sam Costigan sat hunched behind the big mahogany desk, glaring at me with a pair of small pig eyes, half hidden, in a beefy red face. Both hands rested out in front of him, flat. I told him how I'd come to Miami Beach to look into an insurance claim made by Elise Wendover, how I'd been in the office of Hillary Fuchs, her business manager, when Frank Scanlon had walked in, mistaken me for Fuchs, waved a gun under my nose, and insisted I come with him to see Costigan. So here I was, and so what about it?
4: Ah, uh, help yourself, Johnny. Well...
3: Ah. That's a pretty nice joint, Sam. How long have you been in business in Florida?
4: Oh, about two years. How's the gross? It isn't as good as running beer in Chicago, but them days are going forever. I make out, all right? Two crap tables to rule. That table's a couple of games. A bar and restaurant break it up even. man, I gotta be careful.
3: Yeah. Uh, cheers.
4: Yeah, cheers.
3: <sighs> well, you seem to have enough muscle outside and around to keep you comfy and cozy. Yeah,
4: punks, all of them. Look at that Frankie Scanlon that dragged you over here. Crazy, that one. But he's the best of the lot, the best I can get nowadays. He's not a good muscle living the business.
3: You could retire.
4: Yeah, I might do that one of these days. Now, tell me about your hookup with this window over there, man.
3: No hookup, Sam. She claimed benefits on her husband's life insurance. The claim should have been made two years ago. I investigated. It's okay. Made it? Yeah. Screwball, huh? In some ways, she's all right.
4: Well, maybe it's as good you're here as this Fuchs guy. I wanted him to handle some business of hers, but uh, maybe you can handle it. Yeah. You ever see this before? No. Oh, it's a little bit of necklace called The Tears of Night. It's worth a big hunk of cash. These four diamonds are good stuff. Your friend Miss Wendover left it here a week or so ago when she wanted for a plunge at the roulette table. Anything
3: to say? It's a very pretty necklace, Sam.
4: Okay. We both know she's screwy, a widow with a lot of dough and a boyfriend named Teddy. Teddy Davis, he paints. Well, she sent me a check for the 5 G's she lost that night, and I wanted Fuchs to take this thing back to her. But now I got you instead, I want you to take it to her, huh? How about it? Is that all? That's so, all. I got my dough, she gets her tears of the night back. I couldn't trust any of my punks with it, and I don't like to be seen in public, so uh, you just take it back, huh? It's very simple. <laughs>
3: Why? Don't ever go on the stage, Sam. Why not? You can act, but you can't lie. You just can't lie at all. And it takes a good liar to be a good actor. Now that you've told me how simple it is, suppose you give me the unexpurgated sequel.
4: All right, so a check bounced.
3: Oh, stop it, Sam. She can't issue a check without a counter-signature by Hillary Fuchs. He hasn't issued one check on her account since he took it over ten days ago. So if this thing is hers,
4: explain it all to me, will you? The way it is. <sighs> I uh, want another drink. Yeah, you're right, Johnny. There wasn't any check. Miss Wendover called me a couple of hours ago and said if I didn't have this thing back to her tonight, she'd call a load of cops and come out and tear join joint apart. She sounded like she'd do it, too. I mean, well, you you matter. You, you can't tell what she'll do. A matters is next screwy, you know?
3: Not so screwy if she dropped 5000 and left that, and now she gets it back for nothing. I
4: just want to get it off my hands. She came out here with a cop, I'd be closed for the season, and I'm getting old. You know, you know where she lives. hmm
3: I was there earlier tonight.
4: Here, take the ice store, and I'll chalk it up to experience, huh? Then you can grab a cab back and come on back out here and I'll see if you have a good time on the house. How about it? I'll take it to her. But I won't come back here, Sam. Oh, Skylone feely them guys, huh? They worry you. You do. Well?
3: I don't believe your last story either. The only thing I believe is that this is Mrs. Wendover's necklace. So I'll take it to her. Sam. Yeah? You better get someone beside Feely at that table after this.
4: You're telling me. You're telling me.
3: He was mopping his face when I closed the door and went downstairs. By that time, the customers had started to roll in. Young, fresh-faced men with sallow eyes and quick movements, anxious to step up to the tables and lose money. Women in strapless dresses, anxious to show off their newest suntans and help whatever man they were with lose money. Old men, old women, dressed to the teeth. It was a sick old scene from a sick old play. Expense account item four, six dollars. Cab fare from Sam Costigan's gambling club to Elise Wendover's apartment.
5: I thought you'd never get here. The performance begins at 10 o'clock, and you know how the traffic is, and if we're going to have a bite, do we... You aren't Teddy at all, are you?
3: I'm afraid not, Mrs. Wendover. Where's Teddy? I don't know.
5: Oh. What are you looking at? Your throat. Really, Mr. Mr.
3: Dollar. Johnny Dollar. I met you in Hillary Fuchs' office. We talked here later on. Remember? Of
5: course I Remember? Well, really, Mr. Dollar, I'm only waiting for Teddy to come by... so we can make the first show at the plaza. I'd better telephone him, don't you think?
3: Yes, you do that.
5: Good night, Mr. Dollar.
3: The white ermine cape she was wearing... and the black strapless thing needed a final touch. She had it. A diamond necklace. In fact, the tears of night... the one I had in my pocket was hanging around her lovely neck. Downstairs, in the good light of the lobby, I snapped open the necklace case... Mortuous, it read, House of Jewelry. A gloomy word with a gloomy address. The sign on the window of the House of Mortuous gave a phone number in case of emergency. Item six, ten cents, one phone call about my emergency. I made it vague to Mr. Mortuous that thousands of people might die before 6 o'clock in the morning unless I could talk to someone about a piece of jewelry. It went over. Item seven, fifty cents, cab fare to the Sandy Beach Hotel on the less expensive side of Miami Beach.
2: You find me a bit indisposed, Mr. Dollar, but on the phone you said it was a matter of jewelry. Therefore, Hannibal Mortuus is at your service. Now then, sir, what is so urgent? I came to ask you about a diamond necklace. I found your name stamped on the inside of the case. House of Mortuus. A most respected name in diamonds as well as all the lapidary arts. Most respected. Fine jewels and the name Mortuus are... Oh, I do beg your pardon. Continue, Mr. Dollar. I want you to take a look at this. (laughs) Hmm. And how, sir, do you come in possession of the
3: Tears of Night? A man named Sam Costigan, who runs a gambling club, asked me to deliver it to a lady named
2: Elise Wendover. Do you know her? Her lovely body propelled by a ridiculous mind. This matter you have just described bears me out for shame. Such conduct—a gambling house, the Tears of Night, a pawn bear. Then this is the real thing. It isn't funny, Mister Dollar. I am a gemologist. The House of Mortus. Of course, it's real. Take a good look. When an artist creates a dazzling thing of beauty such as this, would he be so unlikely as to forget the time, the patience, the agony of his creation, eh? See here, look here, under the light. Four weeks, Mr. Dollar, four weeks working night and day just to drill that anchor for a simple moulding. But, ah, see how each stone is carefully mounted to capture every single pinpoint of light. Beautiful, beautiful. An incomparable masterpiece. For the money. Well, I'm just curious, Mr. Mortwitz.
3: How much money? About ten thousand dollars on the wholesale market. What did Noah Wendover pay
2: for it? Twenty-five thousand. I saw another one just like it tonight. Ridiculous. The finest workman at best would only create a crude resemblance. This kind of artistry demands an artist, Mr. Dollar. <laughs> and I am that artist. But it could get by, a copy of it. To the unpracticed eye, to the layman, perhaps, yes. Latet in Anguis Herba. Latin. Yeah, well, all I
3: know is Agricola. A snake in the grass, eh? Something wrong? Mildly put, something wrong, yes. Well, how much do I owe you for your time, Mr. Montreux? Oh, nothing,
2: nothing. It was my pleasure. You know, glancing at that again reassures me of the value and dignity of my work. Anywhere, it is magnificent. Uh, But, I dwaddle. you say something is wrong. What? Mrs. Wendover, you say you met her. Uh, Several times. She ever mentioned anything to you about a curse? 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 No, I can't say that she did. May I ask you a question? Yes, sure. Are you a friend of hers? In a way, off and on. (laughs) I know what you mean. One is never quite certain with Mrs. Wendover whether one will be recognized or not is one. (laughs) Well, it's late. Yeah, well, I'm just leaving. No, no, you misread me, sir. I wasn't speaking of my own comfort. I... I notice the fog has come in. It is dark outside. This is a lonely area. Uh, That is a valuable object. Are are you armed? No. If you are at all concerned for the safety of that piece, I have a small safe in my rooms. You may have the key if you'd care to leave it overnight. I'll take it with me. Uh, Just as well, probably. Suggestion only. You uh, leave satisfied, I trust, Mr. Dollar? Oh, Yes. Thank you, Mr. Mortuess. My pleasure, Mr. Dollar. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> remember, Omnia Mortuess Bonum Vocal Est.
4: Uh.
2: All speak well in Mortuess. A pun, sir, a pun. Good evening.
3: Downstairs in the dismal lobby of the Sandy Beach Hotel, I looked out beyond the dirty glass windows to discover that the fog had indeed come in and surrounded the area with a choking darkness. The concern of Mr. Mortuous for his artistic creation told me to bang on the night bell and ask the night clerk for some wrapping paper and 50 cents worth of stamps. Expense account, item eight. Item nine, phone call for a cab. Just before it arrived, I dropped the tears of night, addressed to myself at my hotel in the lobby mailbox. I don't think the two hoodlums waiting outside saw me do it. I didn't think they saw me at all. But they followed my cab when it took me back to my hotel. Johnny Dollar. Your number
5: is ringing, Mr. Dollar. Oh, thanks.
3: Oh? This is Johnny Dollar. Uh, Dollar? I
4: thought you went back to Hartford.
3: I meant to, but I got tired of in Mrs. Wendover's business affairs again.
4: Uh, what now? Can you
3: come over to my hotel right away?
4: It's one
1: o'clock in the
4: morning. I know
3: it. Well,
1: can't you grab a cab and come over here?
4: Hardly.
5: Why not?
3: A couple of Sam Costigan's boys followed me here. I think they might like to do a little target practice on me. Oh, <laughs> Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Universal Adjustment Bureau 518 Spear Boulevard, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Tears of Night matter. Expenses continued, items 10 and 11: $10 scotch and soda, plus a pitcher of ice and glasses. I had them filled and waiting when Hillary Fuchs knocked on the door of my room. His eyes were still puffy with sleep and he had a trench coat thrown over his pajamas.
4: What's this all about, Johnny? You said Mrs. Wendover, somebody followed you, what?
3: I want you to tell me what you can about the Tears of Night. The Tears of what? Tears of Night, a piece of jewelry owned by Mrs. Wendover. A necklace, four diamonds on black onyx, silver chain. Now what the devil would I know about something like that? In her accounts, her bills, her property... You're her business manager. You must know something about it. I never heard of it. You better straighten me out. Uh, Try some of that. This is all too fast for me. Okay, I'll bring you up to date. I came here day before yesterday to investigate Mrs. Wendover's claim as beneficiary of the death of her husband. She forgot to file it for two years. Now, you explained why I bought that. It's a legitimate claim. But I didn't buy her story about being cursed, or I didn't buy your idea that she was on the verge of blowing a top. No, I'm not so sure. I'm just along for the ride. Well, you left me in your office last night. A little while after you left, a man named Frank Scanlon came in and stuck a gun at me and said Sam Costigan wanted to see me. Hmm. Costigan, the gambler? But same. Scanlon thought I was you. He took me over to Costigan's place. What's this got to do with insurance? Nothing. But it has something to do with Mrs. Wendover. Costigan had a necklace, the tears of night there. He said Mrs. Wendover left it as a pawn a week or so ago. Oh? He told me Mrs. Wendover called up and threatened to come out with policemen unless Costigan returned it. And as long as I was there, Costigan asked me to take it to her. I went over to her place, and what do you know? She was wearing the tears of night. I don't get this. Well, have another drink. Neither do I. By the time I got there to her apartment, Mrs. Wendover hardly remembered my name or that we'd met in your office. She was waiting for her boyfriend to show up. Incidentally, his name's Teddy Davis. Is he after her money or what? Search me. I never met him. Well, I skipped out of there and looked up the jeweler who'd made the necklace, a man named Hannibal Mortuus. I heard of him. He speaks Latin or something. That's the one. He told me the necklace I had was the real thing. Now, I want you to tell me who made up the one Mrs. Wendover was wearing. I don't know anything about it. Well, it had to be made up sometime within the last week, and you've been handling her business affairs. I don't know a thing about it, Johnny. All right, come here. Take a look. Do you know anything about those two birds outside there? No. Well, one of them is a character named Feely. He works for Costigan. The other one I saw at Costigan's club. They tailed me from Mortuous's place. Probably been on me all night long since I picked up the necklace. Where is it now? I mailed it to myself from Mortuous's hotel.
4: <sighs> those two out there, you better call the police if you think
3: they're after you. Oh, nothing I could tell the police that would hold them up half a second. Mainly, I wanted to ask you about all this before I went on with it. What do you mean, go on with it? Go back to Mrs. Wendover, to Costigan, find out what's real and what isn't real? This isn't your line of duty. Why? Oh, I've been thinking about that. I don't know why. Maybe it's Mrs. Wendover, those eyes of hers, and that talk about the curse. I got a feeling she needs help in this matter. Somehow she needs help. What can I do, Johnny? Go to bed. I'll let you know what happens. Now, where's your car? In the parking lot back of the hotel. Give me the keys. I'll use that. Hey. Make yourself at home, Mr. Fuchs. Go to bed here. Oh. Yeah? Every now and then, walk over and look out that window and have a drink. They'll think it's me, and that's a good thought for them to have. Okay. What else? Well, if they start for the lobby, call downstairs and have them send up the house man and get the police. I don't think they will, but remember that.
4: Well, why would they want... They still
3: think I've got that piece of jewelry on me. We shook up another drink, and I borrowed Fuchs's trench coat and left. I found his green Chevy without too much trouble, since there weren't too many cars out in the lot that time of morning. I looked at my watch, and it said 235. I drove around front past the two hoodlums, still keeping up their silent vigil, and found a street that looked familiar. Twenty minutes later, I was in the parking lot beside Elise Wendover's apartment building. It was still dark, still foggy, and too late, I found out too crowded. Somehow, the pair of hoodlums were waiting for me after all.
1: Hey, this is him, Feely. Got a match, Dollar? Toby asked you if you got a match. He's a dummy, Toby. Don't answer. Got a match, Dollar? What'd I tell you? He's a dummy boy. You don't look like no dummy boy. You're nearsighted. Take your hands off He's a dummy, all right, ain't you, Dollar? See, Toby? I told him about you being nearsighted and he wouldn't answer. He don't talk. Go on, smart boy. Tell Toby how sorry you are about him being nearsighted. Talk. I heard you talk before. Told you he was a dummy. Hey, uh, tell me something, dummy. All insurance guys like you? Toby asked you a question. He wants to know if all insurance guys are like you. I don't like him. He asked questions and he ain't told us nothing. Hey, uh, maybe we find out something we went through his pockets, huh? Yeah, yeah. Even a dummy's got pockets. Ain't that right, dummy? Hold him, Toby. Yeah. All
3: right, boys, you played the scene good, and I'll see what I can do for you, but I haven't got the necklace. <laughs>
1: hey, he talks. Yeah, yeah, you make him talk again, Toby. <laughs> now, don't make him talk too much. We know if the stuff ain't on him, it's in his room. We can pick it up anytime. time. <laughs> That's it. Easy, Toby, easy. <laughs> Oh, he talks real nice, Feely, but he don't say much. Hey, you think maybe he's tough? Could be.
3: (laughs) No, I wasn't. And I didn't feel like talking in that quiet little parking lot where the only noise was them pounding on me. I told them I didn't have the necklace anymore, but they didn't care about that. They wanted to find out the hard way, the hard way for me. (laughs) I remember trying to wake up a couple of times. I dreamed I was driving along in a big Cadillac. Frank Scanlon was on one side of me, Sam Costigan on the other. Hannibal Mortuous was in the front seat. He had his jeweler's glass out, looking at the tears of night. I tried to see who was behind the steering wheel, and I gave that up because the steering wheel was a roulette wheel. Then we had a blowout, and the whole car vanished, with everybody screaming, "Demortuous, Demortuous!" Somewhere around six in the morning, I began to get a feeling... Several feelings, and all of them hurt. It just turned dawn, and I rolled over on my side to watch a man who hadn't seen me step into his car with a fresh shave and a fishing pole, pull out of the lot, and disappear. Somewhere, vaguely, I heard the sounds of early morning traffic. A streetcar clanged somewhere. Nothing much happened for a while. Then it came to me it might be a good idea to get on my feet and find a telephone and get hold of a doctor and see how long I had to live. Somehow I managed by holding onto a fence and stumbling against cars to make the front entrance to Elise Wendover's house. I made the elevator, self-service my way up to the ninth floor, and staggered toward 913. I would have been better off in the parking lot. Elise Wendover was there, sitting in a large chair by the window. She still wore the black strapless dress and urban piece she'd had on the night before. The drapes were drawn, the door was slightly open... Light from the hall seeped in. She had a telephone on her lap. The receiver was off, held idly in one hand. She looked at me. <laughs> but she was looking at nothing. Oh. Hello.
5: Oh, Mr. Dollar, it's you. You've been in an accident. You're hurt.
3: I don't think you'll need this.
5: Oh. Well then, Mr. Dollar. Well then. I suppose you've met some people tonight who know a great deal about me.
3: A gambler? A jeweler?
5: Did they tell you about Teddy Davis? He's really a dear, Mr. Dollar. Quite the nicest boy I've met since Noah died on the boat. Noah and I had so many things together, Mr. Dollar. I do think he enjoyed being alive with me. I mean, I cried when Noah died. I really did. I cried like a little baby. Of course, I cried when I heard my brother was killed in Korea and when Daddy died in his office with a heart attack. I shouldn't really cry anymore. I mean, after all, I am cursed. I told you that. Yes,
3: I told you I didn't believe it. There's no such thing.
5: But there is. You'll see. Mrs. Wendover. No, I have Teddy. He's really a dear. I do think he will be a very prominent artist someday. He paints, you know... Teddy asked me to marry him tonight.
3: That's nice. You marry him.
5: Teddy isn't interested in my money. Could you believe that? What is my... I can't seem to get my tongue adjusted to my mouth. Did that ever happen to you, Mr. Dollar? Yes, sometimes. Perhaps perhaps I should see a correctionist. I'm glad you came by again, Mr. Dollar. I told you once that sometimes... Sometimes it means an awfully... Awfully lot to speak to someone... Mr. Costigan. Mr. Costigan.
3: What? What about Mr. Costigan?
5: <laughs> later. 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 I know it must be strange to you, but. 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 But, but some people live for nothing but money, and some people to die for it. <laughs> oh, stop it! Stop it!
3: Now tell me what's happened. Tell me what's happened so I can help you. They
5: do look so funny. They're no, so very funny. I've seen them count money so often and so much money, and I really believe. That is honestly all I live for, only, only, only.
3: <laughs> she pointed across the darkened room. Her black eyes glistened with no semblance of reason left in them. It took me five seconds to find the light switch. Stretched out on the floor of her apartment, they look funny, all right. Feely and Toby. Both of them as dead as you can get. Johnny Dollar. Good
4: morning, darling. Hello, hello. We should get married today. Is your name
3: Teddy Davis? What
2: who is this? Where's Elise?
3: My name's Johnny Dollar. I'm in her apartment. What? Hey, what? Now listen to me. I'm an insurance investigator. And there have been a couple of murders here. Murders? In Elise's apartment? She's gonna need you and all the help she can get to bring her out of it. Mostly you. I've called homicide and they're on their way, and it might be pretty rough for her.
5: I'll be right over.
3: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Universal Adjustment Bureau, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the tears of night matter. It was a long morning, and a lieutenant of police thought I was crazy when he met me in the apartment with two dead men and the hysterical woman. My face was bruised and black and blue from the beating the dead men had handed me the night before. The lieutenant, his name was Brady, had a time getting hold of Hillary Fuchs to back up my story. But Teddy Davis was a different matter. He showed up with a doctor and lawyer. And through their combined efforts, Elise Wendover was removed not to police headquarters, but to a private hospital. It was obvious from powder tests that Mrs. Wendover could not have fired the 45, which ended the lives of Feli and Toby. Obvious to me. Lieutenant Brady was a skeptical man. You stay right there and keep your trap shut. I'll figure out what to do with you in a minute. All right, come on,
2: get those baskets out of here. I say,
3: Dollar. Hi, Teddy. How's Mrs. Wendell? That remains to be seen. She's screaming about that darned curse again. She thinks she had something to do with these murders. Dollar, I, I don't know quite how you fit into all this. I do know I'm terribly indebted to you for calling me. Now, what can I do for you? Are you in trouble? I don't think so. Brady's just excited. He can't see where I should be involved, so he suspects me. Of what? Oh, he doesn't know that. He's a policeman and he suspects everybody. But don't you worry about it. You get back to her. I really do have a good lawyer. He can work on it if you give the word. I can't just walk out of here feeling that you're in jeopardy. Now, what can I do? I thought you were over at the hospital, Mr. Davis. I was. I came back to see what I could do for Mr. Dollar. You can scram now. Watch whom you're talking to, Lieutenant. This man is my friend. Hey, are you kidding? Not a bit. Take it easy, fellas. Take it easy. Yeah. You said your name's Dollar. Insurance dick. Let's see your buzzer. Okay, out of Hartford. What's the job? Mrs. Wendover's husband died two years ago. She just got around to filing for benefits last week. We were curious about it. Go on. Well, can't you see Mrs. Wendover? Let him, huh? As near as I can make out, Mrs. Wendover's overlooked a lot of things since her husband's death. Taxes, bank accounts, whatnot. Hillary Fuchs can tell you that much. This curse business she mumbles about. Well, she lost her husband. Before that, her brother killed in the war, and her father before that. You know, you don't seem to pay much attention. I explained I gonna all of it. i will to pop you in the cooler if you open your mouth again, Mr. Davis. <laughs> Go on. How about the insurance? Well, all okay. I was ready to leave town last night. As a matter of fact, I would called for a plane from Fuchs' office. When a man named Scanlon came in, mistook me for Fuchs and said Sam Costigan wanted to see me. Costigan's got a gambling place on the side Yeah, outside. yeah, yeah, we know about it. Go on. Well, Costigan gave me a necklace, the Tears of Night, said it belonged to Mrs. Wendover. He asked me to bring it back to her, said she'd pawned it at the roulette table. When I got here, Mrs. Wendover was wearing the Tears of Night, or something that looked just like it. While I was curious, I looked up the jeweler who had made it, a man named Mortuus. He said I was carrying the real thing. When I left his place, a couple of men from Costigan's place followed me. Who? Those two who were killed, Feely and Toby. They caught up with me outside of this apartment house and tried to shake me down for the necklace but I'd mailed it to myself at my hotel. So they worked me over and left me there. When I came to earlier this morning, I came up here and found Mrs. Wendover sitting here in a state of shock the two stiffs in her room. That's it? Yeah, Brady, that's it. How long have you been an insurance dick? Fourteen years. You bonded? Yes. Okay. Are you going to let him go or aren't you? Shut up. Shut up and I'll tell you both what I'm up against here. I know Mrs. Wendover couldn't have had anything to do with the killings. I know you, Dollar, couldn't either. Then go out and find who killed those two men. Those two and the other one. Huh? Costigan was gunned down a couple of hours ago. About three o'clock in the afternoon, Brady released me and Teddy Davis drove me back to my hotel. The clerk at the desk looked at my bandaged face and turned eight shades of white when he handed me my key. I thanked him and told him I'd kept a date with a Barracuda. I was feeling kiddish. Also a little dizzy and a little tired. I was looking forward to a hot shower and ten hours sleep when I walked in my room.
2: Ah, oh, Dollar, I've been expecting you. Come in, sir, come in. Well,
3: hello, Mr. Mortuous.
2: Uh, I've been uh, amusing myself with this pocket chest set of yours, Mexican, eh? Sit down, sit down. You've had a hectic night. Your boys were pretty rough, Mr. Mortius. Philly and uh, Toby are two men of another world, Mr. Dollar. Not of our world. Allow me to apologize for their actions. I want more than an apology. They almost beat me to death. And so unnecessary, too. You know, I underestimated you, Mr. Dollar. Such an ingenious method of protecting the tears of night. Why, sir, by the simple expedient of placing it in an envelope and mailing it to yourself from my hotel lobby, you hired as guardians the entire United States Postal Service, not to mention the armed forces. Yeah. Want one of these? No, 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 thanks. I'm one of those faint-hearted persons who cannot abide liquor until after six in the afternoon.
3: What happens now? We wait for the mail. We do, huh? Precisely. And while we're waiting, maybe you'll be kind enough to tell me
2: about the double cross. <laughs> if you can bear my vanity, Mr. Dollar, I, I have invented a new word, triple cross. It has a ring to it, eh? That sounds likely. You see, Mr. Scanlon approached me last week and asked me to duplicate the tears of night Mrs. Wendover had truly pawned at the gaming table. Naturally, I became suspicious. Let me guess what you became suspicious of. Oh, well, it was fairly obvious that Mr. Scanlon was planning to double-cross Mr. Costigan. That is, when the time came to return Mrs. Wendover's necklace, he, Scanlon I mean, uh, intended to return the bogus piece I made up. And you got into the act? Uh, that is when I first conceived my own plans, yes. Unfortunately, Mr. Costigan learned of the little deceit going on around him, and Mr. Scanlon was forced to shoot him. So Scanlon shot Costigan how about Toby and Feely? Uh, Mrs. Scanlon again, abetted by the last of the House of Mortuous.
3: You helped him kill them, then planted them, and at least went over his apartment. Oh, dear, a crude touch,
2: I thought, but it had a purpose. With two cadavers in her living room, she was very unlikely to discuss her bogus necklace with the police. And I doubt very much if she knew whether she was wearing the original or an imitation.
3: Flighty girl. That's the lousiest thing the House of Mortuous ever did. She walked in and found these two there, and the doctor doesn't know whether she'll ever be sane again.
2: Oh, dear, dear, dear. If you had merely returned the necklace to Mrs. Wendover, it would have been a simple thing to effect an exchange. And none of this would have been necessary. Ah, well, then, bygones are bygones. Yeah,
3: sure, I know. You just sit here and wait for the mail. No, 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 no. We wait for the mail. What about your playmate, Scanlon? Why isn't he waiting with you?
2: Scanlon? I'm afraid I'll be sought for a murder of two or three this night. I'm certain the police will find his body before the day is out, but I did need him to help me carry the bodies to Elise Wendover's apartment. Uh, Elise. Uh, tell me something, Mr. Dollar. Does that name Elise bother you as much as it bothers me? Oh, give me a woman with a name like Celeste or Josephine or Roxanne. <laughs> Those, sir, are names for the creatures. But Elise, yeah, twaddle.
3: Where are the police going to find Scanlon?
2: Oh, in my hotel room, which I departed hastily once the room clerk had informed me of your ingenious method for protecting the necklace. I shot him there.
3: Oh, you work cheap, Mr. Mortuous.
2: Cheap, sir? I don't
3: understand. $10,000 necklace. It's not quite a king's ransom, is it?
2: <laughs> the tears of night are worth closer to $100,000. I'm afraid I misinformed you as to their value. I didn't want you to become suspicious. I suppose you think you'll get away with it. Ah oh, well, I'm an old man. Attended to a destitute and bankrupt jewellery firm with nothing ahead. A few grim years and finally a whimpering end. Requiescent in parse There. Live. That's what I want to do. Live. And this is my opportunity to live like a king. And young man, I've taken it. Many vidi...
3: Vici. Oh, you're crazy. You're crazier than a mosquito in December, Mr. Mortuess. <laughs> they'll grab you before you make the airport. No, I
2: don't think they will. <laughs> I shall leave here and turn the tears of night into cash. With a well-laden purse, I shall guarantee to elude the police over half the world. In two years, maybe three. Ah, oh, yes, they'll get me. But I will have spent the money. And what more could a man ask than a perfect fulfillment of all his wishes, Oh, eh? I ask you, sir, as one gentleman to another... What more could a man ask? I... Cautious, Mr. Dollar. I do shoot well. Answer it. Tell them to go away. I'll be right beside you. All right. Open it. One, sir, Dollar. I've got a gun. Scanlon. I thought I'd find you waiting for the mail. You dirty... You didn't do such a good job on me. Caution, Mr. Scanlon. I have a gun, too. Oh, I'll last long enough to let you have it. Your loss of blood has made you groggy, Mr. Scanlon. Uh, but still
4: good enough. To...
3: Uh. Scanlon rolled over and lay still. Watcher was kind of grunted and uh. leaned back against the wall. Uh. He had a pained look on his face.
2: Uh. Uh. Mr. Dollar. Uh, Mr. Dollar. Mr. Dollar. I do believe I've been shot. I I'll, I'll need a little assistance. I, I, I can't seem to hold my feet, sir. I can't seem to hold my feet. Uh. I still? It was an awkward plan at best, eh? <laughs> Demotuous nil nisi bonum, Dora... Or if your Latin still escapes you, speak well
0: of the dead.
3: Let me have the police. Expense account? Well... Expense account total, $405.16. Details? Mrs. Wendover will recover. Remarks? I'll stand for the last two days of expense myself. I didn't have any business sticking my nose in the jewelry end of it. But if you make me pay for them, don't ever try to hire me again. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. our star to tell you about next week's intriguing story. Next week, the matter of a reasonable doubt, a case of many doubts, and believe me, all of them are most unreasonable. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood, written by John Dawson. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Virginia Gregg, Victor Perrin, Jack Crucian, Jane Avello, William Conrad, Frank Gerstle, Marvin Miller, and Will Wright. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino and Carl Fatina. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
0: Welcome back. Johnny's note at the end of the story acknowledging that Universal Adjustment Bureau didn't technically owe for much of the expense account uh, in regards to the jewels, but that he wouldn't handle a case for them again if they tried to make him pay for it says a lot about Johnny's relationship with the insurance companies. Johnny will always try to do the right thing, and in this case, he was doing it for one of the company's beneficiaries on a case that they called her, him in on, and she really was caught in the middle of something. This wasn't like the Plantagent matter, where something totally unassociated with the insurance company sprang up. Johnny's great to have available, but if you want to have him around, then you can't really afford to nickel and dime him when he's trying to do the right thing for people, particularly people associated with your company. Given that Johnny would work for Universal Adjustment two months later on the Sea Legs matter, I think we know what they decided about the expense account. The last three and a half episodes of the story became very hard-boiled. The basic story uh, was told eight years previously on Jeff Regan Investigator with Jack Webb in the Diamond Quartet, and then was adapted in 1949 into a Sam Spade story, The Tears of Keeper with Howard Duff, which we played back in March. The basic story elements of this can really be found in those two episodes. Interestingly, in the Jeff Regan episode, William Conrad played the gambling house owner, as he did in this story, uh, though in that uh, original script, the character was named Daly. The name Mortuous was lifted directly from the Sam Spade script because it was the perfect name for the character. There's a case to be made that the Tears of Night matter merely puts an insurance frame around a hard-boiled detective story. I personally think it's a bit more than that. It added more of a sense of drama and realism with all the time we ended up spending with Mrs. Windover. If there's a flaw, and it's debatable even whether it's a flaw with many hard-boiled radio stories, it's the degree to which the horrible actions of the villains often have almost no emotional impact on the audience. You can have a story where four people died, and as a listener, you're kind of like, well, big deal. Uh... The stories can get buried in their similes and style likes, languages and crooks being beaten up and handing out beatings that you don't really form any emotional connections. Now, as to whether that's a flaw, it's debatable because in some ways it makes it just really easy escapism. But this approach really was not that popular by the time you get to 1956. And what Tears of Not Matter does is... Uh, it really gives some emotional white to the events. Like, you really feel how evil, cruel, and selfish Mortuous' actions were and that helps you to really sympathize with his victim in a way that I don't think you really feel in the first two stories. Ironically, I think it also makes you feel less sympathetic and might have been the case when this sort of Sydney Green street esque character shuffles off his mortal coil in the other two stories. Speak well of the dead. Yeah, sure, that's going to happen. <laughs> Uh, I do want to go ahead and thank listeners on YouTube. We just had a milestone with the YouTube channel, hitting 3 million views. And I appreciate everyone who left kind remarks. Uh, Some just nice congratulations, including from listeners in Surname and Denmark. And we're only a bit more than 200 subscribers away from 10,000 and i expect we'll get there in the month of october and while our primary distribution of course continues to be through podcasting and podcast software the growth we've seen on youtube really has been gratifying just because i put so many hours into working on and building that channel and to see the sort of growth we've had in views and the number of subscribers over the past year in particular Uh, It's just wonderful to see. So thank you so much to everyone following us over on YouTube. And now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And because it is the first Friday in October, we are thanking the Patreon supporter who has been supporting us for five years this month. So thank you so much to Susan. Susan uh, has been supporting us since October 2018, currently supporting the podcast at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Susan. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you are listening to the channel... Please subscribe to the channel, and you can help us reach 10,000 subscribers if we're not already there yet. And, of course, like the channel, mark the notification bell, all those great things that so many people have done to help our channel to grow. We'll be back next Tuesday to begin another Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar serial. But join us back here tomorrow for Dragnet, where...
5: I can't understand... it. Ever since Juanita's been away from home, she she's written twice a week
4: regularly. When's the last time you heard from her?
5: The last letter I have is postmarked November 2nd. You know how it is, Sergeant. We have no relatives in Los Angeles, and, and she's trying to find work down there, living all alone. I I just
4: don't know what to do. All right, Ms. Lasky, I'll take her description over the phone and
3: make out a preliminary report. You'll have to send us a photograph of your daughter and a letter to the effect that you want us to trace her.
5: I'll get the letter and the snapshot
3: off today. Now, what's your daughter look like? What's her full name?
5: Juanita Marie
4: Lasky. L-A-S-K-E-Y.
5: No,
4: no, 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 E. All right. Her age, weight, and height. She was
5: 26 last July 10th, 128 pounds, and about
1: my height. Well, how tall are you, Ms. Lasky?